The Total Financial Hour, featuring Arif Halaby, president of Total Financial Solutions, designing higher income strategies with a conservative approach. Protecting your principal and your earnings while getting you reasonable gains and reliable income, making you confident of your retirement income planning. Arif Halaby has your answer. All right, the Total Financial Hour. I'm Eric Hallaby. You're listening to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. This is your family's finances, getting out of debt, managing money, planning for the future. Listen, part of it is to understand you have, uh, listen, you have a responsibility to take care of yourself, not just today, but later on and in the future, and to keep your family's finances on track. See if we can get rid of the psycho guys, I think, inside the room here. All right, so here's what matters. When I'm looking at your family's finances and somebody and a senior comes to me, somebody 60, 65 years old, and they walk into the room and they say, hey, uh, I'm looking at your financial life. Okay, here's, what, here's the account that matters to me. Here's what I'm trying to, to, to reduce some of the fees. We sit there and we say, well, what's this expense? They said, oh, by the way, I have a student loan. They go, what do you mean you have a student loan? You've been retired for six years or three years. And they say, well, you know, I co-signed for my grandchild, a very smart child. Her parents are a little less than responsible <laughs> or they worked hard and they just couldn't save any money. And we couldn't figure out why she couldn't go to school, go to college. And one day she came to me and said, Grandma, can you co-sign on a loan? And what did she end up doing is saying yes. So now what do we do? Listen, now we're in a position of saying, listen, more and more seniors are failing to pay off student loans by the time you retire. Some of them are yours. In fact, most of them are yours. Going back to school when you're 50, 55, trying to figure out why, in fact, you are paying hundreds of dollars a month on a student loan. And not only did you finish school, but you are now retired. You're, you're retired from working. And student loans. So what is the problem here? Number one is, listen, in 2017, a report was done by the federal government based on 2015 numbers. Here's what they are. Ready? 2.8 million seniors. 2.8 million seniors have student loans averaging at least 23500 So if you're a senior and you have a $23,500 student loan, What's the problem with that? Well, the problem begins that money that you were going for your food, shelter, clothing is now switched over to a debt. And if you don't pay that, here's what we are finding. Because the biggest culprit to this student loan isn't just you saying, oh, forget it. It's the emotional part of you as an individual because you are co-signing your grandchildren. Here's the solution, right? I'm going to give you solutions to these problems and not just whine or complain like a lot of folks do. We're going to talk about solutions to this. How are you going to figure this out? Number one, set a maximum amount that you are willing to pay as a student loan. And don't do it as a dollar figure, 5000 10000 20000 Don't do it as that. Do it as a monthly payment because here's why. The payment is what's going to follow you into retirement. It's nice that there's a $50,000 student loan, but if it can be in a favorable enough terms, where the payment is reasonable for you, fine. If you can afford it, if you're saying, listen, I have a pension, I have rental property, I have my investments, and I have Social Security, and you go, oh, that's fine. I can afford that $50,000, then that's okay. But follow it down the line. 
of the payment. Because here's the other problem. Because all ages are subject to, it doesn't matter what you are, your tax withholding, right, your, your tax refund, being confiscated by the IRS. Under the Obama administration, the U.S. government basically outlawed, did away with, private student loans having a private relationship with you for new student loan money and instead has said, listen, all student loans now come under the federal government. When they did that, when they said all student loans come under the federal government, the collection agency for the federal government is the IRS. And the IRS has the right to garnish your social security wages if you have a co-signed student loan for your child or grandchild, if you have a personal student loan. These student loans don't just disappear. And don't be fooled by some of this 10-year payoff or 20-year payoff. The child has to sign up for it. The student has to go in and sign up for that. And if their student loans don't qualify, if they don't qualify for the forgiveness program, then you're going to be paying that student loan for 25 or 30 years. The average payment for this student loan is significant, folks. I'll get you that here in a minute. But it eats up, it's basically your your Medicare. Your Medicare payment is about what the student loan amount that the government will confiscate. So this is important. How do you prevent, if you're still working, if you're a senior and you're trying to to manage your life, or just if you're anybody who's trying to manage your financial life and you've defaulted on your student loans because you decide you just can't pay them or you pay them every once in a while, and every time you're getting a tax refund, the government confiscates it because that's the second way they do it. They take Social Security if you're eligible for that. Your tax refund, they confiscate. So here's a solution to the tax refund. What I want you to do is to move forward with raising your withholdings. Now, listen, you're going to check with the CPA. You're going to sit there and talk to your CPA that says very, very simply this. What do I have to do? Married four, single three, whatever that number is to raise your withholdings so you receive more back in your paycheck, but nothing, or maybe you'll owe a little bit in April when you file your taxes, but you get more back today in your paycheck. Okay, these are important because you are not going to be in a position to get that money back. Even if you're owed $5,000, the government will confiscate that if you owe money on on student loan debt, okay? So just raise your withholdings. That means your take-home pay will go up, and because your take-home pay will go up, you might owe $100 at the end of the year, get back 100 And just so you know, the, the number, people say married, finally, you know, married three. That is not three dependents in your family. It used to be that way years, you know, decades ago. And so people taught their parents, taught their kids, who taught their children's grandchildren. So everybody thinks, including some CPAs, that it's the amount of people living in your household. That's why it's single, four, or married, three. That is not the case. Not the case anymore. You go to the grid that says, what is the withholding number? In other words, there's a credit. So you'll go through the grid and you'll say, okay, I am filing uh, married, four, but there's only me, my wife, and one child. But you might have property tax deduction. You might have the the standard deduction withholding. You might have uh, business expense write-offs. So Married with one or two or... No, no. Go down and ask your CPA, how much am I going to be withholding? How much are they going to withhold? And how many dollars? So go off of the dollars. How much will I owe at the end of the year? And then you go down the grid. It looks like, well, not two, not three. It must be four. So married four, 
will mean that I'll either owe a little bit or married three, which means I'll get back a little bit because maybe you'll fit right in between those two. So if that's the case, what do you do? Simple. I want you to go and go walk through the process of meeting with your tax accountant. You can play with it on the computer if you want to, if, you're, if it's a simple form, and say, what if I file three? What if I file four? Follow me? That's the solution to that. All right. Here's another one because I want to get into some other stuff here in just a minute, but this is, this is really popping its head up here. 40% of the student loan borrowers today over the age of 65, right? If you take all of them over the age of 65, four out of 10 of them are in default. Folks, that's, that's a huge number. 40%, four out of 10, if you take 10 seniors that have student loans, whether it's for themselves or their kids, or they went back to school and, rece- and earned their PhD or their MBA at the age of 52, whatever they did, that check is now garnished by the IRS or Social Security. The average withholdings that they're confiscating is about $140 a month. $140 a month. Now, there's a maximum they can take from your Social Security check. Are you ready for this? It's 15%. That means if your Social Security check is $2,000 a month, they will take $300. And probably forever because it means you have to pay late fees and et cetera. So you might see your Social Security statement. You might think, oh, well, I'm going to get $2,000 a month. You might have thought that your granddaughter, who's now 32, married with one child, a nurse who's been paying her student loans, you might have thought she was paying her student loans, but the truth is she isn't. And you won't know that until you get your $2,000 Social Security check and you see $300 missing. You say, where the heck did that money go? So here's what I want you to do. Number one is it's very common, very common for people in every industry, including students and seniors, when bad news comes, we want to bury our head in the sand. We want to forget about it. We want to think it doesn't exist. We want to pretend like it's not our problem. And when you bury your head into the sand, the IRS doesn't care. Those folks get paid to follow you around. They get paid to research you. Just because it didn't show up for the last three years doesn't mean they're not thinking about it. You may have gotten away with it for a little while because they're busy. But guess what continues to happen? Fees, penalties, taxes. So they continue to accrue. So you have to be proactive. So here's a solution that I recommend. Consider loan modification. If you pull up your credit report, because that's really where you want to begin, you pull up your credit report and take a look. And if you see something that looks like it's in default, then you're going to need to go through and say, wait a second, why is this loan in default? My grandson, who's an engineer, who needed money, was the one who, was, who asked me to, to, to co-sign. So how do I make sure that he's paying this? Have a meeting with him. Hey, grandson, let's have lunch. Hey, can you come over for Sunday? Hey, listen, I pulled up my credit report. And you can do all the soft, you know, dance, what do they call it? The soft shoe dance. You can do the tap dance. Hey, you know, how's the kids? How's the, how's the family? How's your job? How's that puppy? How's the weather? All right, good. And let's talk about the serious stuff. You understand when you have a bad conversation with somebody or when somebody calls you out of the blue, the reason they call you is what they talk about just before they hang up the phone. How's everything great? Well, I got to get going. Hey, real quick, one more thing. That's the reason they called you. Hey, Joe, how are you? Good. Hey, listen, 
uh, how's the family going? You know, I want to, everything's great. Yeah, New Year's is good. Oh, New Year's is amazing. That's awesome. All right, great. I got to get going. Hey, listen, Joe, real quick, one more thing. That's it. That's the reason. So don't be afraid to be that person when you're talking to your grandchild and you say, listen, I noticed on my credit report, and although it's been two years and Social Security hasn't uh, attached my wages yet, they will. They don't forget. And they're going to soon. And so we need to be proactive. Have you considered a loan modification? Do you have any money set aside? Uh, grandson, you just bought a house. Where did that money come from for you to buy a house, to put $22,000 as a down payment or $100,000 down as a down payment? Uh, and raise your hand and say, hey, buddy, what about me? Well, you know, Grandpa, I'm, I'm thinking about paying for it. I just need a house because me and Beth, you know, Beth are trying to... You need to refinance your house, take cash out, and pay off the student loan. You need to sell that second car and take the bus. You need to... I don't care what you need to do, grandson granddaughter. My social security for the last 50 years of working is going to be attached. It's going to be garnished. All right, guys, I want you to focus on this. And here's why, because this stuff is popping up to me uh, in, in my practice every single week, every single week. And I want today for that to not be the case for you. Okay. It's kind of important. All right. I'm going to give you, uh, let me give you some, some numbers here because this is kind of important. Uh, every week I try to come to you and I talk to you about a client that we talked with this week or somebody that we met, met with and somebody that we helped, right? This is important because in your financial life, this could be you, especially if you're trusting financial folks that will tell you something and then behind the scenes, there's another agenda. All right. So I'm going to get into the differences in the annuities here at the bottom of the hour, the different types of annuities out there, what they're used for, what the purpose is, when you should use them and when you should not use them. This is important. Not every product is right for every person all the time. There's different phases. There's different phases in life. So let me bring up to you a gentleman who came into my office this week. He had opened up an account and he opened up an account uh, about... Uh, I forget the time. I want to say it's about seven or eight years ago. Okay, it's about seven or eight years ago. He opened the account with $210,000. All right, it's a lot of money. Saved his whole life. Right? These, this is, folks, the financial industry, whenever you open an account, they think it's their money. Now, you might say, that's nice. I want them to treat it like it's my money because I want them to take care of it. But they don't. They treat it like it's their money, like they should spend it on their new boat or car or plane. Not to protect it. And here's a good example, $210,000. Today, it's worth about two hundred and eighty. Okay, that's wonderful. That's nice. It's grown. I like the, that's a good number, two hundred and eighty. Paid $65,000 in fees. So let's go backwards here. $70,000 in growth, about $60,000, $65,000 in fees. Meaning the way it works in the industry in, with this particular uh, variable product is it sits there and you go, one for you, one for me, one for you, one for me. Now, it wasn't the case with this particular account, but most of these accounts are opened by folks in their 30s or 40s. Now, what I, why do I bring that up? Because I'm just about 50, okay, in about a month. I bring it up because of this. Some of these clowns, these financial guys, were in junior high school when you were earning this money. They're playing on the playground. They're chasing basketballs around the field. They're ditching school. They're doing whatever they're doing. 
and they think they have a right to the money that you worked for while they were playing around. Why is that okay? If I said, look, right, let's think of a perfect world. I'd said, okay, uh, investment financial guy with all your licenses and initials and all that baloney, I'm going to give you 210000 For every dollar that you make me above that, I'll give you 10 cents. Maybe 20 cents, right? So if you made me $80,000, okay, maybe I'll give you $10,000. I think that's pretty good. Maybe if you made me 70,000, right? 210 to 2. You made me $70,000, I will give you 10,000. I think that's fair, right? You make me 1,000, I'll give you 40 bucks, even 100, maybe $200. But why is it that they should earn about the same amount of money that they gave you when the machine that was earning it the $210,000 at the beginning was earned well before these people were even on, on this planet in some cases. Because here's the problem. The hidden fees in your retirement accounts at work, the hidden fees in your variable annuities, the hidden fees in your mutual fund will eat up your gains. And when everything is good, great, they're good. But when things are bad, you guys, when the market goes down, they still charge a fee. So what are you buying? Because when you pay a fee, you're giving something. What's the difference between a fee and a cost? Simple. A cost you receive something for. A fee is just this made-up number. You've heard this before if you're a regular listener. I know many of you are. But I need to drill it home to you because I don't think it's right. And for some reason, these guys think that they can do it. Like as if they're... Well, you know, you're lucky for me. If it's not for me, uh, you know, you would have nothing. And, you know, oh, thank you. And then they talk in big words and they, they give you these pie charts and graphs and they use big numbers. In some cases, folks, you know, they don't even understand half the stuff that they're telling you. I don't care how many licenses. I've taught these folks 20 years ago, 21 years ago. I sat in a room full of people with big license numbers and I was teaching a course. And they were already licensed to sell what they were there to learn. And they had no clue on the details of how some of these things worked. There's no difference today. There's no difference today. They think they know because their boss, this is boss, is boss, says, we have to meet our numbers this year. So go out and sell X mutual fund. Okay, X mutual fund is sold. And then the federal government tries to get involved by passing all these rules do you understand that when these rules are passed, these people find a way around them until they're caught? We had a gentleman who inherited $2.2 million. It's a lot of money. $2.2 million from his dad. Dad had some real estate and some investment accounts. Everything was sold, and he had $2.2 million. He went to a company, big company, big name, initials. You would know it if I said it. Went to that company, sat down and opened up two accounts, one a set of mutual funds and one a variable annuity. One year later is when he came to me. He says, Eric, I opened up a, a mutual fund for 1.2 million, sorry, a variable annuity for 1.2 million. It's worth $980,000. I was told I can't lose this money. Where did the 300,000 or so go? 220, whatever it was. Where did it go? So I, I have no idea. Let's take a look. All right, we called the company. We got, did a breakdown. What are the fees? What are the, what's the risk? Can he lose his principal? Yes. Can he lose the interest that he made? Yes. 
Well, let's take a look and see if that's the best place for you. We gave him some choices. What were his choices? You're going to have to have, you're going to have to give up something. You're going to get between zero and about 10, maybe 12% rate of return. Zero to 12, that's the maximum you're going to get in any one year. He said, wow, I'm okay with 12. I go, I know you are okay. I'm okay with 12, but you're not going to get 12 every year. The average is going to be between three and 6%, meaning you might not ever earn three or six. You might earn 10 one year, zero the next year, right? What's the average? Five. You might earn 10, you might earn six, one, zero, zero, two, six, right? I don't know the numbers. We don't know what's going to happen with the market. But what we do know is that historically, on average, over a five or 10 year period of time, three to 6%, that's about where you're going to get. All right. And I also know that if you want to pull out more than 10% after the first year, you will pay a fee. That's right. Even, even if there's a sale at Nordstrom's and it's an emergency, you'll pay a fee unless it's medical. And I don't mean just medical like you stubbed your toe at urgent care. I mean medical like terminal illness or nursing home or assisted living. You won't pay. You have the right to take out some or even more if all uh, above the 10% number. In other words, you might take out half. Each account's a little different, but let's say it's half or it's all of it without any fee. Fine. Now, listen, if you if you owe taxes on the money, you'll pay taxes. That doesn't change. The IRS sets those rules. So what are you giving up with the company? Well, you're giving up complete liquidity, like give me all my money right now. That allows the company to invest it and make more money so they can pay you more money. All right, simple. If you pass away, they waive the time frame. So in other words... If you put money in the account and it's, it's a, I don't know, nine-year account and you pass away in three years, your beneficiaries can say, hi there, send me a check. Wave the rest of the time. They, can, they might have to pay taxes. Don't forget that. But there are no fees. There's no monthly fee. There's no quarterly fee. There's no annual fee. But there is a cap on the rate of return that you will expect. Okay? You're not going to make 20s and 30s and 40s percents. You're just not. You're not going to make 18s. You'll probably make between 0 and 12. This last year, we saw some 15%. Wonderful. Doesn't happen very often. You'll get 0 to 12. If you think that number and you're okay with that, then why are you even paying fees or taking risk in the market? Listen, I understand the old-fashioned way of doing things. You give it to a, a, a broker who manages, right, air quotes around that, manages I say, so, so you're the manager? Oh, yeah, I'm the manager. So what do you do? Well, you know, I buy and sell. Look at at the end of every quarter. Look at what they do. The end of every quarter or every month, depending on how they charge fees. And they wash all of the money from your money market account because you can't charge a fee in the money market account. So they wash it from the money market account, any dividends or sales or whatever, and they move it into products that pay them a fee. Now, maybe it was right for you. I don't know. But why is it that they seem to do it just before the fees are charged? Just before. Just before the end of the month. Just before the end of the quarter. I don't know. I'm not inside their heart. And if it's right for you, great. Then the timing is a coincidence. But if it's not, if it's designed to make them rich, how will we know? We will know simply. We just go backwards whether it's a C-class mutual fund, those were created so brokers that sell mutual funds can continue to charge 1% fee. Do you understand that? 1% fee all the time, coming, going, 
every year, period. And so when you look at that and you say, all right, uh, I don't know if this is right for me or not. Let's go back to the beginning that I opened the account. This is a super simple way. The beginning that I opened the account and add up all the fees. You're going to have to estimate, right? Because there's a little bit. But you'll come pretty close. Estimate all the fees. And then all of the gains. How much did the company and the broker make? How much did I make? That's it. That's all you got to do. And if it's more in your favor, wonderful. Keep the account. Keep making money. Wonderful. If it looks like it's one for you, one for me, one for you, two for me, right? If, if that's what the broker starts, you go, hmm, who's really working for this money? Because if my broker is managing this account, then they better not take a vacation at all. They better show up before 6 a.m. and do their homework. They better not go to the restroom, take a lunch break, golf on Wednesday. They better not do anything because otherwise they're managing it. And then they say, well, if you don't understand, you know, we put it in the computer and you know, my job is to monitor and review. I say, wonderful, then why am I paying you and not a computer? Because what's the difference between a full service broker and not? It better be the profits in your bank account compared to the profits in theirs. Solutions, we have them when we come back. On the Total Financial Hour, you're listening to the uh, AM870. It's uh, the answer, right? Total Financial Hour. I'm Arif Halaby. The different types of annuities. What are their purposes? Let's get rid of the myths. Let's talk about the truths, good, bad, and ugly, when we come back. 888-99-RETIRE. Give me a call at 888-99-RETIRE. 888-997-3847. I'm Eric Hallaby. We'll be right back on AM870, The Answer. Hey, thanks for staying with us. You're listening to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. I'm Eric Hallaby. We're talking about your family's finances. Give us a call if you have a question at 888-99-RETIRE. That number works even during the week, right? And it goes straight to our office uh, headquarters as well. We have offices in all around Southern California. So if you have a chance to meet with me, great. I'd love to talk with you. If you have a question, you can always give us a call on the phone as well. 888-99-RETIRE. If you want it on the air, that's 888-997-3847 right here on AM870, The Answer. Okay, let's talk about annuities. Uh, the pros, cons, goods, uglies, bads, right? Ups, downs, sideways. What, what is the difference between... There's basically three types of annuities. It depends on who you talk to. You know, there's two types and then there's subtypes. And blah, blah, blah. I'm going to break it down, I hope, and keep it very simple. One of the types of annuities is called an immediate annuity. That acts very similar to your Social Security or your pension at work, meaning... You've worked your whole life. You or your employer have put in money. The moment you retire and you say, now I want to accept money each month, you don't have a right to the chunk of money there. The chunk of money there is what decides on your payment. But you can't say, in many of these cases, cancel everything and send me a check. They won't do that. You're only entitled to the monthly check. That's what an immediate annuity does. An immediate annuity sits around and says, you know, if you're going to sit around and ask for a monthly check, there's nothing wrong with that. Just be prepared if it stops. When does that mean, when does it, can it stop or when does it stop? Simple enough, guys, it's when you die. All right. If you have an, an immediate annuity and it's designed to go just for your life, then when you pass away, so does your money. Now, over the years, a lot of changes have come to pensions because people have sued the pension companies, you know, the employer, and said, what happened? You know, my wife was accounting on the money, and, 
and I'm counting on the money, and, and now uh, what if I die? She gets nothing. Or the wife will sue and say, listen, my husband passed here. Why, why aren't I getting his check anymore? So a lot of these lawsuits now have made pension companies require you have to take one where you receive a number and your spouse receives something as well. Sometimes your spouse receives half. Sometimes it's more than half. Sometimes it's, you know, you get less and she gets the same amount or he gets the same amount after you pass away and he can continue to receive it, right? So, so there's different options that you'll see, that's, but that's an immediate annuity. No uh, ability to grab the dollars that are in there. All right, just the check every single month. If you give up your, your money, if you've saved money and you've put it into an account, you say, here's $100,000. I want a monthly check now. Maybe the check is, I don't know, $900 a month. And you die after one paycheck. That's it. Gone. Sometimes they will say, I want 10 years guaranteed payments. So if I pass away in six years, my beneficiary continues to receive a check for the next four. So an immediate annuity can have a timeline, but it can also have with that timeline, 10 years and 10 minutes after your, your guaranteed time is up, you're alive. You're still going to keep getting paid. You pass away, your beneficiaries receive nothing from that. So that asset is gone. Here's a solution to the negative, right? The pros are you get a guaranteed amount of money. Who cares? Come heck or high water, you're going to receive that money. The negatives to that is if you pass away, your wife or spouse or husband is used to a certain amount. It may not be there. My recommendation is to take a portion of that that you receive each month and buy life insurance because the annuity payment might be taxable. Maybe all of it is taxable, but guess what? The life insurance is tax-free. And if you do it correctly, the life insurance dollar figure goes to your beneficiary and there's no tax on it. So yes, the annuity payment on an immediate annuity goes away, but you've purchased life insurance and that fills the gap. Now, you have to be medically qualified if you've had big issues. Today, they're insuring almost anybody, almost anybody. But, but if you've had big issues, cancer in the recent year or two or three, uh, heart issues, strokes, then maybe you won't qualify, so you've got to be thinking plan B on that. All right? Okay, here's the second one. The second one is a fixed annuity. What that means is the interest rate that you receive is fixed, just like a CD. So think of it like that. Stock market drops 20%. You're still going to get 3%. Stock market goes up 30%. You're still going to receive 30%, uh, 3%, right? So in a fixed annuity, it gives you a known, and the known is the interest rate for a period of time, let's say five years. So during a five-year window, you're going to have a 3% interest added every month or every year, every quarter, depending on how they do it. And that interest rate that's added goes to your principal. The next year, you earn interest on interest. And in a fixed annuity, it kind of turns a blind eye to the market, and you get a guaranteed interest rate. Here's some of the cons to that. If you see the stock market growing at massive rates, you're not going to receive it. You're going to get the, fa the, the, the fixed number, 3%, for example, and that's it. All right, so it's, you got to make sure that number still works for you. The other cons to that is to sign up for a fixed annuity over a long period of time, let's say 10 years, knowing that we are in rising inflation, rising interest rates, it may be difficult for your cost uh, of living 
and the the opportunity cost, the, the loss of purchasing power could be real. A lot of people that signed up for the, the fixed annuity in 2011, 2012, maybe their interest rates are one and a half percent. Okay, that might still work right now, but in four or five years from now, that's not very much interest. You can get that in a savings account, right? So, so in the future, not today, but maybe in the future, right? So there's a trade-off there. The higher the interest rate, usually the longer period of time that you have to commit to. Right now in fixed annuities, the best ones that I'm seeing are about five years. It seems to be the sweet spot where you're, you're getting paid 2.9, 3.1, somewhere in that window, all right? That's a five-year annuity, acts like a CD, come heck or high water, straight up at that interest rate, it doesn't matter the market. The third one, uh, the, the, the other part of a fixed annuity, right? So a subsection is something called a fixed indexed annuity. Now, this is the scourge of mutual fund sellers. This is the, the, the death nail to a lot of stock brokerage firms. Uh, these folks don't like it. Now, I can see why, right? I'll, I'll give you the reasons, the, the pros and cons to it. Here, here's what it is. A fixed indexed annuity pays you an interest rate based on what the market does. And it's a participation or it's a fixed or a cap, meaning you're going to get between 0 to 12%. That's it. You could get dollar for dollar up to 12. You might get 50 cents on the dollar up to 12, whatever it is. You're going to get no more than 0 to 12% in that account with zero fees. Now, a lot of financial guys see that these things are being sold behind their back, right? In other words, wait a second. You mean you don't need my mutual fund strategy and my, you know, option A, option, you don't need that? No. So what are they doing? They're saying, oh, we can do that too. We'll do a fixed indexed annuity. And then they add a rider fee or they add a monthly fee to it. So it starts to eat up your principal. So there are some good fixed indexed annuities and some not so good ones. Some that have hidden fees, some that don't have hidden fees. So be careful because not all fixed indexed annuities are the same. Some are with A-rated companies or in the A category. Some are in the B-rated category. Be very careful if you're buying one in the B-rated category. Not because they will go out of business tomorrow, but there's a reason that they are B-rated category. Right? I, I, don't, I don't know. There's a reason when I go to a restaurant, and if it says C, the health department says C, I would look at that and go, huh, maybe I'll go next door to the one that says A. If you're going to spend your retirement assets where you cannot go back and make that money again, in my opinion, there's no reason to go to a B-rated company. It just isn't. When there are so many good A-rated companies out there, that's just one layer of protection that the regulators can do. They're not perfect. They're not always going to get it right. But it's one little box that you can check and say, at least I've, I've done my homework. I'm, I'm a little bit smarter than, than I would have been yesterday by only using an A-rated company. Fine. All right. The other part of a fixed indexed annuity that's not so good is what if you have year after year after year of 20s and 30s percents in the, in the market? If you think the stock market's going to grow 20s, 30s, and 40s or whatever, more than the 12s, right? 15s, 20s, 18s, 30s, you're not going to get that with the fixed indexed annuity. You're not. What you get with the fixed indexed annuity is growth between zero and 10 or 12. And that becomes your new floor, meaning whatever amount of dollars you had in that account yesterday, they add the interest, that's the new minimum that you will receive. Pass away tomorrow, all that interest. Stock market drops tomorrow, you've locked in those gains, they don't go backwards. 
trade-off, Wall Street doesn't get a check every single paycheck, every month. They don't fee your account 1%, one and a quarter percent, one and a half. Why do you think somebody like Fisher Investments hates these? They have an entire infrastructure. They have television commercials. They have massive amounts of layers of people, secretaries that are paid $75,000, $85,000 a year. You have uh, assistants that are paid $100,000 a year. You have brokers that are paid $200,000 a year. Where do you think that money comes from? Is it only on your gains? Of course not. They are paid from your dollars that you worked for 5, 10, 30 years ago. They are not paid just if they perform and make you money. I'd pay for that. Great. Hey, make me 100000 I'll give you 20000 I think that's a fair deal. But lose my money or make me 10000 and still charge me ten? Then I'm back, back where I started. Right? So, of course, you're going to find that a lot of financial guys that have uh, bought their house on a 30-year mortgage, have a 10-year finance deal on their RV, have their boat financed, and they're, they have their paychecks counting on charging you a fee for the money that you have worked for. They're not going to like accounts that don't pay them monthly or quarterly or annually. So dig through that baloney and get to the, the truth of it and say, listen, I, if I am willing to give up earning between, you know, earning above 10 or 12%. In other words, I, I'm not going to get that. The company is going to keep it. And there's the other trade-off. There's a 10% withdrawal. On the fixed annuity, some of them only allow you to pull out the interest each year. Like a CD, right? You could take the interest out every year. In a CD, you have to pay taxes on the interest whether or not you took it out. On a fixed annuity... The one that goes straight up, that 3%, it's only paying taxes or subject to tax anyway on the interest that you pull out or on the money that you pull out, right? It's possibly taxed. But if it stays in there and it earns interest, no income tax on it, all right? Here's the trade-off back to the fixed indexed annuity. I want to make sure I'm clear on this. You're allowed to pull out. It's a percentage. Some will do 5%, some 10 but if we just use 10% as kind of the guideline, that means if you put in $100,000, next year you can pull out 10000 Some companies will allow you to take out 10% of the balance. Some will be 10% of what you deposited. All right, so if 100000 grows to one hundred and fifty, and you haven't taken money out, it's worth one hundred and fifty. Some companies will allow you to take out 15000 without any penalty. Some will allow you to take out 10000 without any penalty. All right. I'll give you the reason for these in just a second. The other thing I want you to focus on is this super popular, right? Whenever you hear the negative stuff about annuities, this, and the fees, watch out for the fees. They are talking about variable annuities most of the time. What is a variable annuity? It is a mutual fund with an insurance company wrapper around it, meaning the insurance company charges you a fee and the mutual fund charges you a fee. And if it's managed by a broker, they can charge you a fee sometimes. So you could have two, three, four layers of fees sometimes. I have seen, the most I've seen is 5.3%. Right? Just so you understand, for every $100,000 you have in there, your fees are somewhere around $400 a month. That's the most I've seen. The average is about $300 a month. For every 100000 you have, your broker gets $300 a month. Now think of it. If you have $300,000, let's just do the math, 
300000 in your brokerage account and your broker has put you in a variable annuity, he or she is probably making... Now, listen, if he's new, then probably his supervisor is making it. But somebody is. I don't care who is. If he's a rookie, if he's new, if he's not promoted, I don't care, whatever his compensation schedule is, but somebody is making it. His supervisor, his assistant, whoever, her, her boss, who, who cares? $1,000 a month. You have 300, 400,000. They are taking $1,000 a month from your account. Now, you have to ask yourself, they must be darn good. You've got to be, be a rock star. Because if you're charging me that much, my goodness, how much are you making me? And back to the account that we talked about before the bottom of the hour. It was simple. 210000 went in. Today it's worth about two eighty. They've taken about sixty dollars or $70,000 in fees. I think it was 65000 In fees to give you eighty. Now, you have to ask yourself, what did I buy? I have to be nice to you, and, and, and that's part of the way I was brought up. Be kind. Don't be a jerk, right? But when these guys do these things, they know better, unless they're new. They just got their license last month, or they're new in training for the last couple months. All right, I can understand they didn't, they didn't get it. But after a little bit of time, you have to make a moral decision, you have to make an ethical decision where you sit down and you say, I am willing to make sure my family always eats dinner and I always get to take my trips and buy my fancy cars. Maybe my client will. That's great. Maybe, maybe they'll have a wonderful life or maybe not. So what's the guarantee? The guarantee is the broker takes care of their family first and your family second. I don't always think that's the right way to go. Right? I was raised differently. I think you have to look in the mirror and say, do I really believe my broker is going to make me rich? Because if I do, why is she still working? I, I don't know. If she can do it, wouldn't she do it for herself first? Her family first? I, I, I get it. Maybe her job is to just keep my money because they fee my money every single day, every single week, every single month. So why is it that they say their job is to make me rich and they've been doing this for more than a year or five years? I don't know. You pick the number. Then why haven't they made themselves rich? If they can do it, I, I don't know. How about this? Our job at Total Financial Solutions, Arif Halaby's job, my job, is to keep you from being broke by not losing your money when the market goes down. We are at all-time highs. Great. Everybody's euphoric. The roaring 20s. We're all doing the little dances, right? You're doing the little flapper thing. I got gotcha. you. And when 29 comes, those same people are at the soup kitchen lines. Fancy. Listen, remember 2008? A friend of mine runs a food pantry. He said he couldn't tell you how many realtors were pulling up with one and two and three-year-old Lexus automobiles. Mercedes automobiles, beautiful cars, payments they couldn't get out of, and coming to the food pantry to get food for their families. You think they thought the, the music would ever end? Of course not. They thought it was going to be nonstop, keep going, on the, nonstop. They think that the market is going to keep hitting double-digit returns, fantastic. I don't. That's my opinion. You have your opinion. 
I guess one of us is right. I don't know when. We'll find out soon enough. If I'm right, well, you just preserved your money. You made pretty good interest, but you didn't make it all. If I'm right, when all heck breaks loose, your paycheck check doesn't change. Your life continues down the road the same. If you're right, man, you're going you're gonna to have much more money than I ever said. So what will you do different in retirement? Are you going to fly around in private jets now? Are you going to change your lifestyle? Oh, you know, I wake up on Saturday. Now I'm going to wake up on Saturday and fly to Paris for dinner. Oh, oh, oh wait, you probably won't do that, right? Your money habits is what, what, what will make you rich. Your saving habits make you rich. Your career, your savings, your dollars, that makes you wealthy, not me. It's kind of weird when I, when as a broker, because I used to be one of those guys, when as a broker, I had to come to that realization. Because if I was going to take credit when the market went up, like, oh, look, I made you all this money. You know, our firm's uh, diversification model with uh, the Delta and Beta, and right? If I was going to take that credit when the market went up, what was I supposed to take when the market went down? Yeah, think about it. I had to take the blame. And if your brokers are doing nothing but high-fiving themselves as if they did something wonderful, then they better be prepared to take the blame and have an explanation when the market goes down and they lost your money. Because what they used to do is say things like, well, at least I didn't lose you 30%. I only lost you 18. You go, oh, thank you for socking me in one arm and not both arms. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're, you're, you're wonderful. Because they have to find a way to put sugar on this uh, sugar coating on this baloney. What is what are the strengths of a fixed indexed annuity? Simple. Our job is to keep. That's what we do, by the way. It's to have a purpose, which is to be there. I can't have you take the money that you need next year to, for a roof on your house. That should not go in any kind of annuity. Probably shouldn't even be in the market at all. Your money has a job to do. Just like real estate is location, 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 your retirement money is purpose, purpose, purpose. If you have a purpose for your money that is monthly income, growth, reasonable growth, then a fixed annuity or a fixed index annuity might be right. If you're, the purpose of your money is a little bit more on the gambling side, which is it has to double or triple. I don't care if I lose it, but if it doubles, I'm going to do this. Then great, then you go to the market. Maybe a variable annuity. If you don't care how much in fees you're paying, I don't mean you don't care like you're just going to throw money out the door, but, but you know, listen, I'm okay. I'm willing to take a chance. And I, then, then you go to the variable accounts or you go to the mutual funds or you go to the stock market. But don't think that a purpose of money is, is the same. The $20 in your pocket is for lunch or for dinner tonight, right? It's different. The money in your retirement account is not to buy a new car in a lump sum next month. Because you'll pay twice for that car. Why? Because you have to pay taxes on that money. Oh, I want to buy a $50,000 car, so I'm going to take 50000 out of my retirement account. Uh-uh, uh-uh. You got to pull 80000 pay state and federal income tax, then you get your fifty. So your retirement account drops by eighty, so that you can have the value of buying something at fifty. That is why you don't use retirement assets to lump sum to buy out things that are post-tax. You just don't, it, it just doesn't make sense. It's not the purpose of that money. The purpose of your retirement accounts, monthly income checks. Generally speaking, now listen, you can take out an extra 10000 a year, 50000 a year, whatever you want. 
You can do that. That's not a problem. But that's not the purpose of the money. So you do the purpose. Listen, I can use the back of a screwdriver like a hammer. It will take me longer. It's not the right tool, but I can use it. Right? I, I can use a stapler to, to hammer in a tack or, or a little nail, a penny nail, if I need to. I can do that. But it's not the tool. It's not the right tool for it. Purpose is everything. What is the beneficiary? How is the impact on your beneficiary with these accounts? If any account, life insurance, IRA, 401k, annuity, any of those, regardless of their tax status, but if they have a beneficiary attached to it, then it circumvents probate and goes right to the beneficiaries outside of probate, meaning the court, when you pass away, doesn't get to decide your beneficiaries. You do. And today, now in California, it was changed a few years ago, in California, you now have something called a transfer on death, or TOD, for your savings accounts and your checking accounts. So you can have that provision for non-retirement accounts as well, outside of the beneficiary. Now, what does that do? Circumvents probate. All right? That's important because then there aren't the probate fees. Then you don't have a judge that delays when this stuff is, is handed out. You don't have to worry about that craziness. All right? That helps you walk through that system. You might have an account you want us to look at. Listen, in 15 minutes, I can tell you, yes, I can help you. No, I can't. Maybe you want something that we're, we can't do, or the purpose for this money is something that doesn't fit with what we do. I'll tell you that. It's okay. Give us a call at 888-99-RETIRE. That's 888-99-RETIRE, 888-997-3847, 888-997-3847. Listen, uh, we had a, a conversation with uh, Dennis Prager recently, and we talked about how Preserving your assets are more important than growing them. Uh, he was surprised because he'd spoken to a lot of financial people over the year, and he said he never heard that from anybody else. Dennis isn't a dummy. Ask your save my money and make it grow reasonably. That's what Total Financial Solutions is all about. Thanks for listening to the Total Financial Hour on AM870, The Answer. I'm Eric Hallaby. Have a great weekend. The Total Financial Hour, featuring Arif Halaby, president of Total Financial Solutions, designing higher income strategies with a conservative approach. Protecting your principal and your earnings while getting you reasonable gains and reliable income, making you confident of your retirement income planning. Arif Halaby has your answer.